Welcome back to The Bachelor of Hearts presents Ancient History, the Bachelor podcast that asks ye old question, Xavier, why do I now believe that all men from the early 2000s took their style tips from Ross Geller? <laughs> There's a very certain sort of uh, patina floating around in the air, isn't there? We are looking at, and listeners, here's what's happening. We're watching season one of The Bachelor. The very first. The we are watching the leather jackets and the sunglasses and <laughs> particularly all the women wearing all leather everything as well. There is just, there's something about the style that I just find repugnant. There's one moment where Alex comments on like, hey, I love the leather while she's also wearing leather. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't see it's, that these um, days. <laughs> it's, to be honest with you, a little bit too much for me. There's a great article that, Chris Black wrote in, I think, GQ a couple of years ago called Can I Pull Off Leather Pants? <laughs> and I would encourage you to seek that out. Maybe we'll put it in the show notes. Interesting. I mean, obviously I could, but I choose not to. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to get an insight into someone who's doubting it. You know, Yeah, I'd have a hard time getting into the leather pants in order to pull them off. You know, it's very, <laughs> very difficult. My name is Max Quinn. Hello. Xavier Rebetsky Noonan is here as well. Two best friends. Love talking about the Bachi for this series. Going. Back in time. We're going starting. batch in time? Hey, Is it very fair good. to say that? Am I going to get in trouble for that? If we, have, we have done this podcast for five years, and we're two like white guys who do a podcast, and we haven't been cancelled yet, which I think is astonishing. Listeners, please uh, don't. That's it. Please don't. <laughs> don't know if we need the cancelling bit. <laughs> what did you just say? I've already forgotten. <laughs> From the sheer psychic weight of what we just said. We are starting with season one of The Bachelor. We have transported ourselves back in time. Mm. We have ditched the modern trappings of our day-to-day life. Bluetooth. This is true. I don't need you. Nope. Uh, what else have we ditched? I don't need, uh, God, social media. Out with it. I've had enough. How many Gs are we down to? <laughs> That's a great question. Right now we were on like five. I think we've I've got the fifth G via the injection. <laughs> That's right. But back in 2002, was there even one? We had Ali G. I think that was the first This one. is it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Good. Uh, um, look, uh, we are we are pre-Borat here on the Bachelor of Hearts God, is podcast. Is that right? I can't even believe it. If you said, Definitely. if you went on this show and you were like, I'm looking to find my wife, no one would say anything. That would not have meant a thing. Wouldn't raise an eyebrow. Everyone would just it would go, not have even, yeah. we know. That's what the show's yeah, about. They'd be like, of course. Yeah, good luck. Are. We wish you all the best. Whereas when you watch an episode of The Bachelor from anywhere 2004 onwards, whenever anybody says that phrase, they're like, ah! My son's Bore name it. is... I just got a little pop-up on Zoom that said, playing music, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> that is not what's happening. 
Here's music to my soul, Xavier Retsky Noonan. We have so much to get to here on the BOH pod, on the BOH pod, including a full recap of episode two of season one of The Bachelor. But before we get there, it is time for the news roundup. That's right. Which we're calling Batch World Catch Up. That's right. It's Batch World Catch Up. And it's back, baby. We just have to call it that now because that's what we said we would call it at one point. Uh, let's begin. There's a couple of interesting stories floating around. They're all from Australia. So if you are only interested in the American uh, stuff, just skip ahead or just stick around. What are you doing? You know what? Pull down your 2002 sunglasses and deal with it. <laughs> You'll still be able to see through them because there's like, was that? that? No, that's like 2007, 2008 when you've got the like slotted Venetian blind. Oh, yeah, that's Kanye. Yeah. That's graduation era Yeah, Kanye. yeah, yeah. Okay. So just use your regular Oakleys, I guess, probably at this time. <laughs> Can't get into the sunglasses chat. It's going to take us all night. Top story this week. Ex-Australian bachelor, ex-SAS Australia star, and ex-professional rugby union player, as well as dual bachelor ex-maker, Nick Cummins, a.k.a. the Honey Badger, went next-level viral this (laughs) week as footage of a dramatic sheep rescue originally shared to his Instagram page went running free throughout the open paddocks of the internet this week. In the video shared to Cummins' page on Monday, September 20th, the ex-tradie underwear model can be seen dashing out of his vehicle to help soothe and untangle a sheep which had been caught in a barbed wire fence. After some considerable effort from the ex-Ultimate Beastmaster host, the creature what? was... <laughs> what is that? I think it's a Netflix show. He was like one of many... Oh, I think he was one of several Australian hosts of that international show, which I haven't watched. I'm going to have to look this up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's the top story this week, is this happened while we weren't looking a couple of years ago. Uh, the creature was safely removed from its trap and hoisted over the fence, retreating into the countryside with a happy bleat... The ex-Tourism Australia ambassador infamously divided Australian Bachelor viewers with the shock outcome, or lack thereof, of his season in 2018, where 1.241, let me wait, 1,241,000 people tuned in to see Nick ditch both of his final two women. However, even the initial post of this video of the sheep thing on Nick Cummins' Instagram page has already been viewed by at least 291,000 people at the time of recording, and it has since been shared elsewhere. A post on Twitter from an account called Cozy Club gained 14.5 million views. Christ. And a Facebook share from ABC Perth has been viewed 34 million times. Is this heroic reemergence of the Badger into the public consciousness enough for us to forgive his past misdeeds? And if so... Does that mark a victory of social media's power over that of our beloved game? Yeah, look, I commented on a post in the Bachelor of Hearts Osh Posting Facebook group. It's where you can go to interact with me and Xavi and some former contestants of the show and our beautiful bachelor-loving community. And I kind of said, look, all is forgiven. This watching this man free this sheep. Let me say, okay, I did a U-turn. <laughs> I, I, let me oh, tell you, fuck. I was ready to abandon sheep <laughs> um, and 
All's wool that ends wool is. I couldn't uh, agree more. What I couldn't say. agree more. Mm. This was a sheer miracle. Because I think okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Mm. I've been watching his season again recently okay. with my housemates because one of whom one of them has never seen it. Um, the other one is my beautiful wife. <laughs> We're not married. My wife. This is too. Yeah, but the other one is my wife. Uh, and we have been reevaluating Honey Badger from the ground up. Okay. And I gotta say, like, it took a lot of friggin' guts to do what he did at the end there. And I also think his season is really entertaining. I think I've talked mm-hmm. about this a little bit before that it's just like lots of great casting killer on, that, cast, on that series. But like he is pushing so hard to make everything A, have a bit of his personality in it, and B, yep. make it all fun. And when you compare that with like I hate to just fucking use Jimmy Nicholson as my whipping boy again, uh, mm. like I do in my personal life. In Jimmy Whippleson. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, Jimmy Nicholson is not dedicated to making every moment fun and infused with flair and personality. It's so hard to say. Mm. I don't know if that's true or not. We, I mean, we have so much to say about that. It is just that the um, smoothening of The Bachelor, the process, I think, takes the fun away from Jimmy. You can listen to our full Bachelor feedback episode, State of the Batchy Nation, just a couple of episodes back in your podcast feed. What I will say to you is that where we left off with the honey badger was that this was a bit of a lambush, you know? <laughs> yeah. It was it was Sophie and it was Brit and neither of them got picked and that is fascinating and I think that what the cynics among us, you and I, mm. had to say about it at the time was more along the lines of, well, this man did have a book coming out. Yes. Well, that is true and hard to ignore. Yes. But... Now, with the benefit of of letting bargains be bargains. <laughs> How are you so good at this? I'm kinda I'm kinda okay with everything that's happened. Mm. I'm fine to forgive the badge. I don't think that he was the ideal bachelor, but I think that he was th- that season, as you say, provided us with enough fodder to continue a podcast and to have paradises and all kinds of beautiful storylines to come in. Uh, fluffy. Um, <laughs> no, just just to come. Yeah. to come is the end of the sentence. I, I think, uh, like I feel cynical about the initial casting of him. You know, mm. I don't think like that's where my problem lies. Is less with the decision he finally made, and more with like the fact that he was put in that position in the first place. Um, mm. or you know, the fact that that's the most like successful and viewed season that we have here it feels like it sets a bad trend for Australia. Right, right. But like I I do feel like some of the the negative uh you know the the blowback against his choice at the end is probably because the producers and or powers that be were pissed off by it and they were like yeah, for sure. you should hate this man and and we kind of bought into it. I think a little oh, bit absolutely. that's an element, you know. Yeah, and look, when he went on to take that hosting gig on Ultimate Beastmaster. <laughs> that's right. Alongside Danny Minogue. Right, yeah, we loved it. We were thrilled. Yeah, of course. Season 9 Bachelor Jimmy Nicholson and his chosen SponCon co-creator and romantic <laughs> partner Holly Kingston have finally moved in together. Cute. Back in July, Jimmy purchased a $1.42 million North Bondi apartment 
Fuck off. <laughs> I know. This is bef- like just after he finished shooting. Uh, and this week, the pair have begun sharing their moving in journey on social media. It has all been roughly as exciting as their on-screen romance so far, but we will continue to report any interesting developments. This is the point at which I realized that it has been a pretty slow news week. I did. I liked um, Jimmy painted Holly smells onto the wall of the garage, which I think is a pretty good bit. That's a good bit. I do not need to see it on Instagram. Yeah, it's true. Uh, but, you know, this is our reward for following these people based on the way they were portrayed <laughs> yeah. on this season What a season fucking TV. hypocrite I am. Yeah, exactly. Goodness gracious. What are you supposed to do? Hey, speaking of people, uh, here's a person. <laughs> Former Bachelorette Australia star, in inverted commas, Pete Mann, who I had to oh, yeah. remind my partner who he was earlier this afternoon. I remember Pete Mann. Uh, has announced that he and his new girlfriend, Rachel Evans, are expecting a child. Aww. The Adelaide-based cafe owner who rose to prominence dating defense contracting specialist and bachelorette Becky Miles last year revealed the news on Instagram on Monday, sharing a photo of an ultrasound and some baby RM Williams boots and revealing that the baby is due late March 2022. This is, of course, the first news that I have heard of Pete in a while since November of last year when... Hours after the Bachelorette finale aired, Becky revealed that Pete had dumped her over FaceTime just three days after filming Wrapped. With this in the rear view, we wish Pete, Rachel, and their forthcoming baby Xavier, and their Ah. (laughs) humongous dog, which I saw on Instagram, all the best, and hope they enjoy a happy and healthy gestation. I would assume that the dog is called Max. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. I was getting a coffee this morning and the barista called out Max. And just at that time, this couple had showed up with their dog and they both looked at their dog and they were like, how does she know his name? <laughs> oh, did and you order like, no, something, boy? For human as, yep. <laughs> and you took your puppuccino and you ah, left. There it is. Yeah. Very good. Um, now, what did I have to say about Pete Man? <laughs> That's a great question. That's what I was asking myself all year last year on our podcast. What do oh. I have to say about Pete Man? Look, okay, the baby is due late March. Mm-hmm. I hope it arrives on time. Uh, nothing worse than late, I think, or pre- don't want it to come too early either, just on time. That's one. Um, I and don't then understand. Second, I don't understand well, this because it's, it's 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 due late March, um, <laughs> but it's got to be due on time. You see, um, okay, I hope it, really it, good. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then the other th- <laughs> I've always look. I'm just interested to see the little baby man. Yeah, exactly. I'd I'd love to give birth to a man. Mm. I wa- I finally watched the movie Old, and I'm not going to give any spoilers for the movie Old, but. You know, there's, I mean, it's in the trailer. It's in the trailer that somebody gets pregnant while they're on the beach that makes you old, right? Do you know about the beach that oh. makes you old? Nope. Did, you didn't even hear about <laughs> Let's not talk about the movie old. No, I, I have no idea what you're talking uh, about. All right. Well, this is going to be an interesting episode. Let's not worry about Great. it. Love it. Let's go. So last week on our podcast, we talked about the first ever episode of The Bachelor. It was called episode one, I think. I don't think they named them. It's <laughs> <laughs> more of an us thing. Anyway. First episode was viewed by 9.9 million people in the US, which sounds 
just truly insane to uh, somebody who's been looking at mostly Australian viewing statistics. But, you know, it was a pretty solid performer. People were talking about it. It was not, that's like half as many people as who watched uh, Do You Want to Marry a kind of rich guy who has a toilet out in his backyard and um, (laughs) is a horrible person that we shouldn't talk about. but, you know, this is a big deal. Uh, it kickstarted a franchise which has aired dozens of seasons, uh, spin-offs and offshoots, basically all of which have been, you know, really reliable ratings earners and toppings for <laughs> and topics for water cooler and podcast conversations alike. So what do we reckon? What do you think the initial reactions would have been like? Because we watched this episode last week and it 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 is thought-provoking on some level, you know? I bet that people were more provoked than than we more were. More provoking Let than thought, <laughs> you know? Maybe? Yeah. Yeah. I think that this is one of those ones. Let's just put this in in, in context as well. There's a, the premiere episode of Survivor had 15.5 million people. The finale of, of Survivor had 125 million. Oh, my gosh. I know. Yeah. This is season one in 2000. Yeah. So... We're approaching Honey Badger Saves a Sheep level of viewership truly, here. Truly, truly, yeah. And my guess is that people would have been in more of an uproar. They would have been clutching their pearls a little bit more than you and I were based on what we saw in that first episode. What do you think? Well, I took a look back uh, at some contemporaneous reviews and writing because mm. uh, I was curious. I was like, you know, I don't th- I, I'm not naive. I don't think this thing would have gone down too easy necessarily uh but yeah i kind of wanted to get a feel for it in the in the culture at the time so so here's here's a few just sort of selected uh highlights variety critic michael spires write-up uh is dated march 24th 2002 i guess he got an early copy um Mm -hmm. and he sort of takes the high road as you (laughs) he's the only critic who took the high road anyway uh on a show rife with embarrassing moments, most bizarre one comes after hour one when girls are already crying since they didn't get picked. Life is so unfair when you can't meet your mate in 60 minutes. Huh. Besides being insulting to any woman who may not look like a runway model, The Bachelor, hosted by Chris Harrison, is just plain boring. We actually did say it was kind of boring at the time, but yeah. um, it's as if the network bankrolled a brothel and positioned cameras to catch the action. Yeah, this is... Yeah, that's more of the this stuff that I what, think. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, Bankrolled a brothel. I didn't go f- like fumbling around looking through like you know Christian lobby groups, like you know campaigns against it or whatever. Which I know there have been some of those. Of I was trying to stick to mm. like you know places I'd heard of at least. Um, the last line in this review though is really fucking good. I like it a lot, just because like th- for some reason this is the last line. There are no outstanding tech credits to note, only beautiful views of the Pacific Ocean. Great. Great. Tune in. <laughs> Tune in and get a load of that waterfront. Now, I think I found Michael Spires uh, on Goodreads. Oh, is that right? I'm misleading you deliberately if I'm telling you the truth. He is, as it turns out, the author of Creating Your Parish Website, <laughs> a three-star rated book on Goodreads. Oh. Rated by one person, published in 1998 with two editions. Okay, well, it seems like we've got to give this the BOH bump, right? Everybody get this out is, there yeah. and find this book published by probably not the same person that I was just quoting an article. Oh, like, my God. Hey, what's going on? Michael Spires mm-hmm. rated it. <laughs> That's great. 
<laughs> he gave his own book three stars. It, wait, he didn't even like it that much? He was like, no. Oh, I could do better. <laughs> Is that a review, review from the author? Please. Michael Spires rated it three stars. <laughs> I think it's interesting that he doesn't talk because um, we, you and I have talked about um, classic horror recently mm. on this podcast michael spires of course is the uh the villain of the halloween franchise and he doesn't speak Great. either paul fahi in the washington post asks why are millions of people so riveted by this spectacle of cattiness humiliation and general female degradation played out against a backdrop of cheesy dream date cliches by reducing courtship and matrimony to a Darwinian TV sport, The Bachelor may be the ickiest commentary on modern relationships since Temptation Island. I, I'm saying these in a funny voice, but I'm also like, I guess I don't really disagree. I, I'm just like, come on, man. Like, what do you think you're watching is, the, is my sort of baseline view on these. Uh, the earliest piece in an Australian publication about The Bachelor... Um, I just thought I would highlight this because I stumbled on it. Um, it is it's a re it's republishing a New York Times piece, so it's mostly not original. But they have changed parts of it. Um, this is for the Age, um, and it's changed to reflect that season one of The Bachelor US aired in Australia on Channel Nine on Wednesdays at eight thirty p.m. starting in December. Wow! I had not found this information anywhere else. I don't know if anybody cares, but I'm like, okay. Channel Nine still airs US Bachelor to this day. Uh, the piece calls The Bachelor, quote, blatantly sexist and distasteful, <laughs> but also seems perched on the precipice of predicting the show's lasting cultural impact. Interesting. Uh, there's this quote here. Meanwhile, Alex Michelle's friends are entertaining themselves with elaborate betting pools that aim to guess who he will keep or cast off at the end of each episode. One pool is modeled after formats used for betting on the college basketball championships. A bracket. Right. This is something that is such a bit, like, feels like such a modern, like, postmodern interpretation of this game, of understanding Definitely. it as a sport and, you know, all of the people participating as players. Uh, tiebreaker questions include, what is the combined weight of the episode five finalists? Another group of businessmen with a $1,200 pool have been trading options on various contestants. There was literally a scheduled conference call for this, says one of the participants who did not want to be oh, named. this is fantasy sports before fantasy sports. Right, but also this scheduled conference call? Were they, were they basically doing Bachelor of Arts? Oh my God. <laughs> right? <laughs> None of this is surprising to me. No. Right? No. And rightly, I think, all of these people called the show out for what it is. Correct. Which is kind of, yes, a sexist shit show but it does raise the question why did this succeed how has this continued for for 20 years mm. and i suppose that's what we're here to look at right right because and it's funny that like part of my objection to these critiques is just like at this point it feels pretty played out to mention those things about the show which like definitely obviously you would want people on night one to be like oh this can't be happening like yeah this is uproarious right and now, you know, this many years later, we're all just like, well, we get it. This is the world we live in, whatever. You know, there's much worse right. out there or whatever. Um, yeah, it's 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 so interesting how... <laughs> it's so interesting how times have changed. Mm. What I mean is, this was challenging television in the year 2000, and you and I are looking at it now going, how tame. Right, exactly. And the criticism as well, we're just thinking like, yeah, okay, but what else you got, you know? 
Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Our brains have been poisoned for yeah. 20 years of this show existing and for us doing five years of Bachelor criticism on our podcast. Paul Farhi does not seem even remotely close to cancelling anyone on this show. No. And that is a huge problem. <laughs> it's, Paul, Paul Farhi himself is now cancelled. <laughs> All right, let's 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 just dive in. Uh, let's, uh, let's dive deep. <laughs> We had a conversation off mic last week where I was like, I'm just going to own it. I'm going to start saying it every episode. I'm going to say dive deep. I'm going to, it's part of my brand now. Dive right in. Yeah. So let's dive. Let's put in our little swimming caps, put our goggles over our eyes and uh, a little nose plug into our nose and uh, what? snorkel, snorkel into our mouth and maybe plug the ears. Just to complete yeah, I the... feel like you've got every orifice covered at that point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Put a little cork up your bum hole. And <laughs> <laughs> let's dive in to our recap of The Bachelor America, the United States of Season 1, Episode 2. Do you think that we can call this episode, put a little cork up your bum hole? <laughs> We often have conversations about the titles of the episode and we're like, we can't make it that like crass. We can't make it that specific because we want someone who's never listened to the show to not be put off, you know? This one, <laughs> I think, has universal appeal. Yeah, well, I mean, it's something we all do whenever we hop in the pool, a bath, or <laughs> shower. How else do you float? <laughs> you float? Because the cork it's floats. Cork. Yeah, it makes sense. Hmm. Uh, notoriously heavy butthole on my friend Max Quinn <laughs> <laughs> needs needs a little floaty. Notoriously heavy butthole is another great episode title. It's a great one. Yeah. It's a great one. We begin this episode with the fifteen women moving into the villa and remarking at the spacious interiors. Host Chris Harrison gathers the women in the living room to brief them, telling them that their only contact with Bachelor Alex Michelle will be on the fantasy dates which the show has planned for them. The one exception, there is a journal room outside just by the pool where they will leave a private message for Alex. And he says, it's very important that you speak from the heart because Alex will view this message right before he makes his decision during the next invitation night. A couple of things to talk about here. Definitely. Mm. So the first one is just the parlance, and we should cover it off. Fantasy dates that Alex helped us create. Mm-hmm. The journal room to leave a private message. The invitation night, which we would now call a cocktail party. So I think the invitation night is the rose ceremony. Oh, okay. But I think what is happening here is it's very easy to get concerned because it's it's so interesting because we were talking last week about how it was so... The Bachelor was so bold about just laying its cards down and saying, like, this is what this is. Here's another thing that happens. Welcome. You're in it now. You're in the world. We have this thing. We have this thing. But it hasn't established what is one of its key pieces of terminology, which is now referred to as a rose ceremony. That's a phrase that they use in the first episode. But now in the second one, they've swapped it out as if they hadn't quite decided. Okay, so my thing was that I thought it was an umbrella term for the entire evening. Oh. It's the invitation night. But even still, like, you're all invited. So what is it, what is this about? Because you have to be invited to receive a rose. You've got you to choose, Batchy. You can't... This is, this is a cardinal sin of, of uh, continuity, I guess. Mm. Having one thing called one thing in the first episode and then immediately flip-flopping when we know, right. historically, they're going to change right back. Yeah. Now... The other things that I want to touch on here, the journal room to leave a private message. Mm-hmm. 
I was completely misled. I thought that the women were going to write him a note. Right. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, there's no reason why that shouldn't be it, you know? That's what it's called. It's the journal room. It's a journal room. Yeah. Um, The other thing, he also, Chris Harrison, the other thing, Chris Harrison also says this. He says, before I let you guys go play. (laughs) I didn't notice that. That's crazy. Did you catch that? I didn't spot that at all. That's weird. Didn't like it. <laughs> Look, I mean, this this show, it, it, we're we're seeing the beginnings of a real pattern of like really talking down to people, um, especially mm. men talking down to women. Uh, I think that's basically what we're seeing the seeds of there, right? Yeah, and particularly that they would put in what did you call it? A specious closet. <laughs> what did I call it? I was saying spacious, not specious. And then I think well, I ch- I, we did six takes of that, and I think I settled on something else. <laughs> You put in no. You put in a specious closet, superficially plausible, but actually wrong. Uh, are you talking about was it's it's one of those fake walls that you push through? Right. What's happening here? Is there an optical illusion? It's, Give me more of the closet talk. It's painted onto the wall by a wily mm. coyote of some sort. That's how they get them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Chris also tells the women that later in the process you will go on individual dates, but right now you'll date in groups of five, and the first yeah, date this was crazy is today. To me. Yeah. So, I mean, this is this is something interesting because, like, the idea of a group date is bizarre, right? And yes. he just has to kind of sell them on it straight away. And you can tell that everybody's kind of just going along with it, but we'll see a bit later. Even even Alex doesn't really know how this is going to actually shake out, right? Right. Uh, he gestures out to the porch where a date box has been left for them. Wait, again, phrasing. He says, it looks like someone has left you a present on the porch. <laughs> Framing it as if it's a fucking dead bird. Yeah, and also, like, he doesn't know who did it. Because, <laughs> like, here's the thing. Nowadays, the, the host, whether it be uh, whether it be Ginsburg or, or Harrison or, uh, you know, whoever it is, uh, they will usually take credit for this stuff. And we will laugh yeah. at that because we'll be like, you didn't have anything to do with that. But at least it is they are putting a, a face and a name to something that has just been done by some random person otherwise. From memory, the date box sticks around for at least a couple of seasons before it is streamlined down into a card. The women scramble to open the box, the contents of which are just barely in frame for like less than a second, which seems bizarre because why bother having it in a box? Why making a whole to-do about the box? But it seems to include gambling chips, playing cards, and a particularly garish pair of sunglasses. One of them starts chanting, Vegas, Vegas, Vegas! And like just barely audible over all this hullabaloo, we learn that it's for Christina, Angelique, Lanice, Shannon, and Katie. And it is so unremarked upon who is going. It is such a background element that I had to watch it over a few times. Um, But the women are given five minutes to get ready. And the show, again, seems pretty deliberate in diplomatically showing all five of these women equally whilst they're all putting on their makeup or whatever it is. Um, Shannon straightening their hair right yeah so Shannon is like ironing her hair with this fucking ancient hair straightener thing yeah this is what Danny pointed out she was like that is a gigantic toasted sandwich sized <laughs> hair straightener and she was also this is another thing that I would just would never have thought of she's flicking out her ends yeah at the bottom with the straightener and now you don't do that apparently no well that's yeah that's great insight from Danny because it, it's part of how this style uh, uh comes about comes about the other interesting thing is that she has got 
a panini in there as well. She's doing both at the same time. <laughs> so she's getting mustard all through her hair. and It was the style at the time. Yeah. Shannon says, hopefully Alex is the right guy. I've known him for a couple of hours, not even a day. So hopefully I can get to know him a bit better on this trip. Moments after the first five are whisked away in limos, the remaining women change into their swimwear and head down to the jacuzzi. Special education teacher Alexa narrates in ITM over somewhat lurid shots of the women in swimwear, Mm. comparing this experience to living in a sorority house. Quote, however, never in my wildest dreams would I ever think that all my sorority sisters would be dating the same guy. It was very booby, this scene, wasn't it? It was booby and the boobiness will be will be a trend i tried to hint at this a little bit last week but i you know you you'll kind of see what i mean as we talk more about this but i get the impression that alex michelle um is is interested in a particular part of a woman's anatomy i wonder if we are desensitized to that now or if that kind of like pervy style of camera work is a direct reflection of the the Mike Fleiss universe at the time. Yeah, I mean it is it's hard for me to separate separate what I know about Mike Fleiss as a kind of pervy dude um mm. from what we're seeing here, but also I think it just speaks to like it is a very um like despite the primary audience of this show at least initially but probably still now being women I think there is a real male-dominated production and uh, for sure. you know, uh, gaze, obviously, of, of where the show is I suppose, yeah, maybe this is their way of being like, and the men will like it There's too because for boobs. the fellas. Yeah, mm. I think so. I honestly do. Um, we see our bachelor, Alex Michelle, in a limo being driven to meet the women, and he tells a producer, I'm actually a little nervous about the etiquette of a six-person date. I suddenly realized it's not a party with six people. It's a date that I am the host of. I think that's so interesting because it's like, you know, how do you do this? Particularly if you're the first person to ever do this. And the fact that like, there's no way that anybody could have really prepared him for what this will be. Dude is walking on the moon week after week. Right. Exactly. The group arrives at their penthouse at the Venetian in Las Vegas. We see a game of pool begin. Before Angelique, the 27-year-old actress from Burbank, California, who caused Alex to wonder, how can I tell if you're acting or being genuine, initiates a momentous paradigm-shifting piece of gameplay as integral to the structure of the show as the rose itself, in my opinion. She marches up to the rest of the group, looks Alex square in the eye, and says, we all know what we're here to do, so I'm going to get the ball rolling pretty good pool pun so do you mind if i steal him away incredible this is big this is the first solo steal well and that it is that language that has remained unchanged for 20 years as well right can i steal you away for a moment yeah and that she says we all know what we're here to do something about that is just like put that like chisel that into like stone Because that is Mm. what we are fucking here to do. And she knows it. She is predicting that this game will still be played 20 years from now. She is clairvoyant in this moment. Right. Oh, actually, her name is Angelique Voyant. Um, In a separate room, Alex asks for Angelique's life story. And she jokes, well, I was born. (laughs) No, I won't take you back that far. And (laughs) 
What is she? Twenty three? Like, <laughs> how? What, what have you got? What to else tell? is there? That's actually a pretty good starting yeah, spot. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to take you long to get through it. Yeah. Um, Lismore Base Hospital. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Mine was, uh, no, my, my, the hospital I was born in no longer exists. Isn't that kind of fucked up? That is kind of fucked yeah. up. What a great way to introduce yourself yeah. to someone on a day. They had to get rid of it. I'll tell you my life story. <laughs> the hospital that I was born in no longer exists. They said, that's enough. And soon, neither will I. <laughs> Uh, we don't see very much of this chat. Max is out of frame. <laughs> we don't see that much of this chat, but then we cut back to Compass Shannon, who tells the other women, I've been thinking, Angelique took Alex away. We don't know what's going to happen for the rest of the night. I say that we go say hi. So she is just straight up not accepting the steal. This is incredible, because in my mind, I feel like the idea of not going along with a steal must have taken years to happen after right. the first steal. It happens straight away. And like, you know, this is a technique that I think they learned in episode one, which is the stampede. The group, the group steal. Yes. Because right. they all just pop back in and they're like, hey, uh, we couldn't help but notice that the bachelor is not in the same room as us. We wanted to change that, you know? Yeah. And we'd also like to be uh, on the TV and getting to know this man as well. And it Correct. is great. Learning from Shannon Compass Shannon Shumpus. Shut that... That's not going to be. We can't. I, I think that's what her name is. <laughs> I did not approve. I did not approve. Let's, let's continue. Let's, what else did Shumpus do? We'll put do a poll on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> we cut to the group seated around a small round dinner table together. Shannon is beginning to open up and lead the conversation. In an in the moment, Lanice observes, she's so nice and she's so wonderful that I figured the more she talked, the more he was going to fall for her. She's such a great girl. I was like, be quiet already. This, I believe, is the first instance of colorful narration in which one woman is talking about another woman. I wonder if we may have gotten a little bit of it in episode one, but this is at least the first time that one woman that you know mm. is talking about another woman that you know. Yeah, and it does feel like she has been asked to comment on what is considered sure. a more... Like, I, I was getting down a rabbit hole thinking about this because Lanice is a woman of colour and Shannon is a white lady, and I was thinking about the long history that this show has of casting people of colour in a commentator role or... Yeah. Um, you know, using uh, using people of, you know, different racial backgrounds or whatever as a story prop or as a utility to talk about the more plausible or acceptable, like, romantic story that is going on that they're not involved in. The white lady and the white man that are falling in, in love in front of their eyes. Yeah. Like, I don't necessarily yeah. need to read into every single thing that happens in these, but I was just like, hmm, noted. Interesting. That's really interesting. Mm. In In The Moment, Alex tells the camera that he's decided there is a connection between him and Shannon. What was her name? Shumpus. Shumpus. And somewhat abruptly, he takes Shannon away. He takes Shumpus away. Fucking hell. I can't. I... <laughs> you can't. It's yeah. fine. It's fine. We better, we'll leave it. <laughs> he takes Shannon away from the dinner for a one-on-one -on -one chat. And we watch Shannon and Alex having a slap at the pokies where he narrates something that I think is still very true to the show. He says, all these girls are starting to put up walls to defend themselves from getting their feelings hurt. And that makes my job harder because I've got to fight through those walls and say, would you mind taking the biggest risk of your life with odds that you're going to get rejected and hurt? Would you please do that for me? That is such a, a powerful quote. I wrote it down as well. Just there's something in that that is the, the brief right. for The Bachelor. It is convinced these women 
to do this for you and then pick them off one at a time. Mm. And I think that you can see this pop up in every season, especially on The Bachelor, with 25 or so women who are all like desperately vying to appear to be the most pliable and compliant and attractive to the lead. But the only way that you can cut through whilst doing that is to also appear like a little bit unattainable and to put some kind of wall up that the bachelor has to overcome. You know, it's, it's this setting which is designed to demean and belittle you and rob you of your individuality and agency. And you have to both appear perfect and the most desirable and wantable and also not appear too perfect and wantable and desirable because then it's there's no story. You know what I mean? Like right. the Bachelor uh, using their free will and agency, of which there is some, they want a story in which they are not just picking one of 25 women who are desperate for him. They also want to feel like they overcame something or they had a narrative arc or whatever in their choice too. At this point, we don't know how true that is of the people who are creating the show. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's where we're projecting a lot of what we know makes the show tick now onto that. But at this time, I think that what is making this feel quite authentic to me is the lack of a playbook right. from anyone. Yeah. And 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 that's that's what's fascinating about it is that it is simultaneously setting the rules and creating the playbook that we think of in this day and age without adhering to it in a, in a strict right. way. Like it is just yes. people doing stuff. Shannon then brings out an incredible first for the show in her solo time with Alex. She tells him almost every single person I've ever dated has cheated on me. And so it's hard for me to like let all that stuff down. Alex tells her if we can be open to each other in this bizarre circumstance, kind of looks at the camera, I think we'll be good. And I think with this short little piece of dialogue, it's like two sentences each, I think we have seen our first tragedy reveal twist. So you like this man and you're feeling the feel. You got a shocking secret you're keeping concealed. You're gonna drop that bomb, yeah, and seal the deal. You do the tragedy reveal twist. Yeah, you do the tragedy reveal twist. Yeah. So this is a tragedy revealed twist in the sense that Shannon's romantic narrative is going to be, I am the historically cheated on and then unfortunately dumped woman. You think so? She's she's not sticking around? Well, I, no, I don't, I don't necessarily mean it like that. What I'm, I more mean is like, this is what we're going to be playing on to form her storyline gotcha, yes. for the rest of the season if we're to project what we know about the show onto this woman. Right, exactly. And uh yeah, if the if the tragedy happens again here or whatever. I mean, it is interesting that she is being cheated on right now by the bachelor. Ha. And that is not, yeah, <laughs> that's I not mean, so much that's of an issue too. But, um yeah. I don't necessarily know if we're going to see history repeat for Shannon as much as I mean this seems to be the vehicle through which we are going to tell her story and mm. if this is indeed the first tragedy revealed twist, then you can see it laying the foundation for so many uh, more and more elaborate tragedies in seasons to come. Yeah, absolutely. And and just like using something that happened that isn't, I mean, I guess it's relevant. It is relevant here, but yes. using that as a way to like Jimmy open a crack in yourself and show some vulnerability during a conversation where 
you're kind of just walking through a casino like you know right it, it yeah it's, it's strategic even if it is just like uh strategic use of time because they don't have a lot of time this is it right because she's getting as much across as she can in such a short amount of time like she said she's only known him for four or five hours right. at this point and to your other point about jimmying open a crack i look at this point i would like to honey badger open a crack that's where i stand <laughs> I'd like to crack open a honey badger. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Uh, the five women then reconvene to play a game of blackjack together with the women competing for a one-on-one -on -one gondola ride with Alex. Charitably, this is the first time a completely arbitrary skill has been used to give a contestant a leg up on the show. Great. I mean, look, I appreciate not everything has to be the first of something, but like, if we're talking about a group date setting where it's like the woman who gets across this obstacle course fastest without falling down or whatever will get the alone time, like that's something. Definitely. Um, the winner is Lenice. Uh, Lenice is a 23-year-old actor from LA who I don't think we've really talked about that much yet. We touched on her just briefly before. Lenice is the only black woman left in the cast after Christina J was sent home in episode one. And as the women watch, the gondolier who, let's talk about this fucking gondolier, um, he's, he's wearing a mic pack. He is doing a thick and clearly fake Italian accent, which would, <laughs> which would make Chris Pratt's Mario proud. Um, he instructs Lenice and Alex that we have a tradition here on the gondola is a bring oh, no. upon a fortune, a good fortune uh, for the couples to kiss underneath all of the bridges. And thus begins a truly earth-shattering moment for the show. The very first kiss. Alex Michelle says, here we go, in a bland American accent that would make Chris Pratt's other characters proud. <laughs> uh, before reaching his hand across her face and planting three kisses on her lips and then two on her cheek, the gondolier says, oh, very good for some reason. Then he says, my wife. Uh, you, only, you only get one shot at this. You only get one shot at the first kiss. Mm. And someone, some producer has been like, you'll need to say a lion gondolier. <laughs> and he has somehow gotten main character syndrome from this. Yeah, this is and a, is now this is like, moment. I too am a featured player in this kiss. I am desperate to find out. Because obviously this, this gondolier is just some guy from production, right? I was yeah, trying to figure probably. out, like, is this Mike Flies? <laughs> like, is, who is this a self-insert from, you know? Is this maybe yeah. uh, Lenise's like, producer, like her individual sort of handler or whatever? Or, like, how does this happen? Who got dressed right. up? Is it someone who had Lenise in the bracket? Right. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I wonder. Um, obviously, it is interesting that the first kiss on The Bachelor was between a black man. I'm sorry. Between what? a white man and a black woman. Um, just, I mean, look, I don't want to give him too much credit for it. Um I don't, I think it's honestly uh it do, it didn't seem like Alex had much of a say. In it. Uh but you know statistically I guess that's an interesting uh outlier. Two more things with this. Firstly the kiss itself. Alex felt more into it than she was almost. I agree. And I say that because of the cheek kisses and the neck kisses that came afterward mm. which for me were utterly weird. I, I didn't like this. I, I mean, no. yeah, it's very hard to judge because it's the first time anybody has done this. 
Like right. kissing on The Bachelor, I think, is a thing much like all of these other, you know, areas of of play or or of behavior or whatever that are learned over time, you know, that become more comfortable from seeing other people do it. And, you know, you there, there are things about kissing on The Bachelor, like ways that you have to sort of cheat out and face the camera and all that kind of stuff that like you have to learn, you have to get good at, you have to practice even, I think, later on. Obviously, none of that's happening here. But yeah, in terms of just how much genuine, like spontaneous uh, passion or uh, romance you actually get from this kiss, in my opinion, it's very small amount. I agree. The other thing that I want to flag is the storytelling up to this point and the way that they're showcasing the different women. Mm -hmm. Because at this point, it occurs to me that the people that we have heard from the most are Shannon, Shumpus, and Lenise. Mm. And this kind of falls away in the second half of the episode as we go on the next two dates Mm. because we haven't had as much scene setting from the rest of the women who will be on the future dates. But at least up until this point, I feel fairly confident that I know two of the women on the show. Right. Yeah. This is, this is big. And I, there's another one or two moments I think later on where I'm like noticing that editing decisions are really being made. Yeah. Because that first episode really just feels like a document of a night that's happening, you know? Right. And as, as, trying to be as fair as possible and trying to capture a little bit of everybody and that sort of thing. Whereas here, it, there are beginnings of storyline sort of working their way out of that. For sure. Lenise ITMs, I'm not going to tell the ladies that I kissed Alex. It's between us. It's not to make anyone jealous or to prove anything, which I think is a great... Uh, good intentions. Uh, you know, a lot of people feel that like they're going to be able to do that on this show. It uh, doesn't always remain true. We'll see what happens on this season. Uh, and then we cut back to Shannon, who is concerned that Alex may have decided to keep Lenise. She says, there's five of us here and logically all five of us aren't going to stay. I don't want to have to think about it because that's going to be horrible for me. I mean, just the thought right now, it's, it's hard. And she seems pretty upset. Yeah. It's time for the second group date for the episode. It's not something I say on this show very often. Uh, And it is time for the second date box for the episode, which is something I've never said on this podcast before. This date is for Trista, Angela, Melissa, Amy, and Amanda. And the clue reads, we are going someplace with sand. Pack a bikini. We are going on a decadent road trip to the desert. This is a lie. Uh, They're going on a bus uh, out to Palm Springs for a spa day. And the main attraction there are mud baths. So everybody settles into this pitch black, lumpy, really unpleasant looking goo. Um, I know you, you've probably been in one of these. Am I right? Am I- I, yeah, I have been in one of these. Can you describe Look, the experience? Because it, it, seems, it seems bad as far as I'm concerned. It was fine. To be honest with you, it was warm. Mm. and firm (laughs) (laughs) and i don't know if i can handle a third adjective (laughs) uh look i'll save you (laughs) thank god okay well alex michelle i wonder if you did what alex michelle did because his first move is to pick up some of the mud sort of scoop it off scoop that top layer off and just throw it directly into hooters waitress angela's cleavage he just flung it. He fully just, fl- he just truly made a little snowball 
out of like right. dense black slime <laughs> and went, oh yes, towards the boobs. That's a great- I'll sludge her boob. Yeah. The women laugh and then Alex does the same thing again to Miami Heat dancer Trista. This time the ball of mud rests on her boob for a moment before sliding off. <laughs> A moment later, we cut back to Amanda, who is sitting closest to Alex, and she's also got a big, messy brown smear of mud down her cleavage. Someone talk to Alex! This is the cult initiation ritual that we didn't need. The rose... Look, I understand why the rose stuck around. Can you imagine if they were like, oh, well, this this is visually appealing. Maybe we should swap out the rose thing. Every fucking yeah. ceremony at the end of every episode of this franchise for 20 years, he's just smearing slime down their tits. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, buddy. I don't know about this. I mean, look, mm. whatever. I'm not. I'm, I think I'm. A, I think I may actually be allowed to kink shame Alex Michelle for this. I think yeah, so. I think in this setting. You want to probably keep your proclivities in this specific uh, sense to yourself. Yeah. Look, we don't uh, make a point of yucking people's yums on the Bachelor of Hearts podcast, but in this case, we're willing to make an exception. And maybe, like, look, okay, if this is a deal breaker for Alex Michelle, that the woman that he ends up with at the end of this show has to be cool with this and enjoy it and, like, what, look good with it or whatever. Yeah. Maybe cast somebody else for the first one, you know? This is it. We'll get to the... Mud boob man a little later down the line. <laughs> yeah, why didn't <laughs> Nick the Honey Badger Cummins hosts Mud Boob Man? I'd fucking watch it. As they remain in the mud baths, let him out. Uh, Angela brings up cheating as a conversation topic. If you found out your wife cheated on you, would you stay and work it out or would you leave her? And then Trista tells the group, I've been cheated on and I was really hurt by it. And she turns it back on Alex. Have you ever cheated? And Alex says, ooh, oh, that's a good one. I um, I have cheated on a couple of girlfriends. Oh, my God. I did once on a semester at sea in international waters. It's okay. Yeah, it doesn't count if it's in international waters. You can't be persecuted for that. He's trying to explain himself. He's like, well, I was away for four months, but, you know, I've never cheated on someone in kind of like a, I'm out drunk, it's Friday night, I'm with the guys, might as well just hook up. Like, I've never done that. I actually think of myself as a very loyal, good boyfriend, uh, but I I do regret the fact that it was basically cheating. With multiple women. Right. It's happened a few times. Multiple partners. So look, 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 look. This is... I mean, look. I'm looking. (laughs) I don't know if for every single person in every single relationship, cheating is a full-on deal breaker, right? I agree. Yes. But I don't get why you would say it. I don't know why you would... Why you just... Just lie. If you're on The Bachelor, you know. You are The Bachelor. But here's the thing. The, being The Bachelor is not a thing yet. Like, right. I don't think, you know, I don't think a modern Bachelor would tell the truth about this under any circumstances, really. Unless they were Definitely truly setting not. up, like, you know, some kind of underdog. Like, it's not, you know, there's some good reason. I can't, you know, look, there are, there are reasons why people might do that. I don't know. For sure. I can't speak unilaterally about every single case in which this might happen. But I'm just like, it's such a weird thing to do when you are the spearhead and the anchor point of this show, because there's this long pause and 
everybody realizes that in order for them to stay on the show, they're going to have to be okay with this. Yeah. You know, it, it affects this, the, the mood of this, uh, spa bath. I nearly said the room, <laughs> but like you're in the muck with this dude. And like, yeah, either it's all over. And th- this whole thing was for nothing. You're already feeling those hooks coming in where it's like, okay, well look, I mean, maybe it's not such a big deal. Maybe I'm wrong about this or whatever. You know, this is it. Can you imagine sitting there with mud on your boobs? Right. Looking at four other women with mud on their boobs yeah. and being like, I can't imagine this man would cheat on anyone. Right, right. Um, and, you know, there's this long, long pause and you can see the the cogs turning in everyone's brains and then Trista goes, ha ha. <laughs> Sounded too much like Will Smith when I did it. Um, in, in the moment, she gives him credit for taking responsibility, which I think is a good, like, if you're trying to talk yourself out of feeling bad about this, that's your first step, right? Is like, well, he owned yep. up to it. You know, he said he regrets it. So it's never going to happen again, maybe or whatever. Um, you know, and maybe it, maybe it isn't. I don't know. Um, I don't. I don't wish to like. Uh, you know, speculate about his his life or his choices or whatever necessarily. Mm-hmm. We only really have what's in the document to talk about. Um, but she does say, "I just want to know if he thought about how he affected the person that it happened to," which it doesn't seem like he did. Right? Like he didn't mention that at all. He he sort of tried to cover for himself and he's like, look, actually, I only did the good kind of cheating and not the bad kind of cheating. And it's because I was out on the boat and, uh, you know, boats are a sacred space in the Bachelor universe. Boats are lonely. Um, Gets lonely out on the boat. Right. Yeah. I was married to the sea, but I did come upon a siren who dragged me onto the rocks. And, you know, what was I supposed to do? Well, they get out of the mud and they shower off together, it seems. Amanda suggests to Alex, I'll wash you if you wash me, which is an incredibly strong move. Great move. Yeah. Uh, in, in the moment, he says, Amanda has an absolutely rockin' body, and I first thought that she was the kind of person who has this body but doesn't even realize it and wouldn't know what to do with it, but Fuck off, I think Wonder that's Action. wrong. This is some bad shit. This is some, some misogynist kind of like, you know, male gaze kind of dog shit. Not a, this not is this is the year two thousand creeping in. Yeah, it is. Um, Amanda ITMs. It was the best shower I think I've had, and the camera lingers on Trista as she showers herself off as well on her own. She narrates, "I didn't want to interrupt Amanda and Alex's little moment, but I definitely want that one-on-one time." Back on the bus, it's revealed that Hooters waitress Angela got soap in her eye in the shower, so she has a pounding headache and a swollen and bloodshot eye. It is not a great look. Uh, this was yuck. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to say it's yuck necessarily, but I'm just like, God, that's a shame. It's a yucky eye. Yeah. I, look, that's that's just where I'm coming from. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, it's true. Melissa, the 25-year-old photographer from Tempe, Arizona, who barely exists, grabs Alex for some, quote, alone time on the bus, showing an understanding that every opportunity counts. I think this is pretty Did good. She sit on his lap. She sits on his lap. Yeah, even though yeah, even though this it, was pretty good. Everyone else is like a within a meter play. of her, and she's like, yeah. oh no, 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 you're not as close as me. This is good. Yeah, they're getting very up close and personal. And then what she does with this time is she tells Alex that she's jealous of Trista, and she says, "Oh, everyone's convinced in the end it's him and Trista." Weird strat. Weird strat. This is strange strategy, but it is also something that is borne out over and over and over the years where the batch someone comes to the bachelor and they say, Look, I don't wanna 
I don't want to tell you anything about Trista, but I want to tell you I got a weird feeling about you and Trista. Interesting. Yeah, I guess on a le- on some level this is kind of the first tattle, except the only thing that she's tattling on is like you like her. <laughs> yeah, know? she's tattling on herself. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Um, I was kind of expecting, based on my understandings of modern bachelors or new, you know, more recent bachelors, that Alex would react neg- negatively here. And would kind of go like, oh, no, I mean, like, you know, I'm just getting to know everybody or whatever. But instead, we get this little, little like, sepia-toned flashback of Alex rubbing mud on Trista. And he's saying in voiceover that Melissa has actually hit the nail on the head. And uh, <laughs> and now it's going to look bad if he tries to pull Trista away for a chat. Right. I think this is interesting because it's like, these days, it's pretty clear that The Bachelor can kind of just do whatever they want. Yeah. I think we have evolved to a point where it's like, The Bachelor or Bachelorette is the lead and whatever they say goes but i think alex is still a little bit kind of concerned about looking good in front of the other women and not like the politics of it yeah like yeah this is a social faux pas and obviously in the real world you would really not want to do that um but he hasn't learned the true power and privilege that comes with being the lead of the show no i think that's interesting i also really loved that he disclosed what or who his choice might be mm. You know, we had to have a cameras off, they thought the scene had cut. True. Dialogue between brother and sister in the most recent season of The Bachelor Australia between Jimmy and his sister where he's like, okay, so it's Brooke. And it was this scandalous thing where we were like, whoa, I can't believe he actually has a ranked order of who he likes the most. Yeah. And here he's volunteering it in the second episode of the first season and I wish we would do more of that. I almost feel like they haven't quite learned the storytelling power that hiding it has. And so yeah. they're not relying on it too much in the way that I think they do now. Yeah. So like they are probably just happy that he likes somebody or that, <laughs> you know, there's some kind of chemistry that I think is pretty evident. So it doesn't really blow anything for him to say this. Cause you're like, Oh yeah, I know her. Right. You're like, not only do I know her and not only do we only have four more episodes to get to know all of these women, mm you're like, okay, cool. So I have some sense of who might be in the lead. And it's the first time that you really get that in the show. Whereas now we have all of these non-narrative and more editing cues to give you that information ahead of time. Yeah, totally. He tells Melissa not to worry and gives her a kiss on the cheek. And in ITM, Melissa seems convinced that he was hinting there would be more dates to come. Trista tells Alex, I wish we would have got some more one-on-one time. I didn't want to break anything up because I want you to have the full experience, but I don't want you to think that I'm not interested. And Alex says, well, I certainly don't want you to think that I'm not interested because I am. So this is another like dropping a a, a little hint. I mean, it's not a hint. It's like telling you who one of the front runners <laughs> is quite clearly. Mm. Alex ITMs, today is the last group date before the next elimination night. You know. Elimination The night. elimination night. That thing we have every week on The Bachelor. Invitation night was what it was called at the start of the, the fucking right, episode. Right, that's, that's what I'm saying. They're just like, uh, what is it again? Uh, never mind. Settle we on a thing. Couldn't get another take of Alex saying one of the other options and then line them mm. all up afterwards. Um, Yeah, no, uh, elimination night. That's what we call it every time. I don't know why you're looking at right. me like that. Um, This date is for Alexa, Rhonda, Kim, Kathy, and Tina. And they're driving out to Santa Barbara in a limo. And then for some unspecified reason, they stop at a gas station for ice cream sandwiches and lottery tickets. 
Yeah. What what's the speculation here? So I think that they realized that it would look good if he were to be filmed talking to the woman with the eye on the phone. Oh, for sure. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. they needed a time and a place for him to do it. I agree. I mean, yeah, but this is what they landed on? I was trying to, I was trying to work it out because they could stop literally anywhere. Yeah. I was trying to work it out and I was like, maybe this is trying to like make him more approachable. Like- even though he lives this life of luxury and excess, he's just a normal guy. Because I think one of the remarks on just like, I couldn't believe that like we went from this like glamorous setting to like go and get lottery tickets, but that's just the kind of guy he is or something like that. That's interesting. I feel like this is something that happens spontaneously right. where you're filming the first season of the show. Mm. You are on the road. You're talking on your great big portable cell phone. Right. With a fucking antenna. With a huge antenna to another producer who's like, no, stop, stop, pull over. We need to do this thing now so that we've got it. Mm. And you're like, as the producer, you're like, well, there's a gas station here. Will that do? And they're like, yep, we'll make something of it. You know what I mean? Talk to the women about being being at the gas station. Mm. We'll turn this into something. Right. So I, I, I agree with you in the sense that I definitely feel like this is producer manipulated. Like they come up with the idea for this rather than him. Absolutely. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I just felt like this was planned ahead of time, like, I, in order to get the cameras set up on both ends. Well, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it was just like, uh, oh, all the women are sitting around near the phone, so let's quickly start shooting, and you guys just pull over where you can. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Very, very odd. It wouldn't happen like this in any other season. Um, but yeah, so he he is calling Angela with the eye to apologize again for for the incident, which is not his fault, and he had nothing to do with. Um, it's a really strange moment because he's he's clearly at least partly concerned. I raised this before. He's at least a little bit concerned about how he's being perceived by all of the other women. Definitely, but he's keeping five of them waiting in the car, plus four of them on the other end of this phone call, who are all like gathered around listening to one side of this conversation. And I think, you know, Alex tells her, don't be embarrassed. I hope you feel better. But the content of the call is nowhere near as important as the mere fact that the call happened. That it exists. Right. Yes. He he ITMs. I get the sense that they all um, thought that it was cute that I called, but I wonder if any of them read too much into it and thought, oh my gosh, Angela must be his favorite. Now, compare against the most recent example that we have seen of this kind of behavior mm. in The Bachelor Australia, Jimmy and Brooke. Brookie, yeah. So Brookie uh, is off at uh, her, her grandfather's funeral mm. and Jimmy's checking in the whole way, but this information isn't being disclosed to the other women. Right. So somewhere along the way, firstly, we've learned that it's a good idea to keep that from the women because that creates more drama. Yes. And in having kept it from the other women, there's no opportunity to not read more into that. Do you know what I'm right. saying? Right. Everyone's going to read more into it's that. The because worst the version. only person who has the information is Brooke. Exactly. And when they do find out about it, the version that they imagine is always going to be worse than the version that actually took place. Right. Exactly. Mm. Whereas there are nine other women to corroborate in this setting. Yes. And I think like, yeah, we're, we're talking about how he's keeping people waiting. He's got other people on the other end of the call who are probably like freaking out about the fact that this is happening. I think one of the things that evolves beyond this point in future seasons of the show is that you have to, if you're the lead, you have to be a bit careless and callous about how, how everybody's feeling. Yeah. And I think sometimes that's to the show's detriment. Or at least detached. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I'm not saying that 
uh, Alex Michelle is the most emotionally open bachelor ever or anything like that. But I think over time they figured out maybe even subconsciously, like what parts of the regular experience of dating and like being a human being amongst other human beings that they need to kind of forget about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we cut back to the ladies' villa for what I'm going to call the first girl chat. Um, this verite moment where the women are speculating about who's going to make the top eight after tonight's, uh, what's it called again? <laughs> Rose handing out thingy. Eliminate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the only person they really seem to be able to agree on is Trista. So again, we're sort of underlining our front runners here, um, which I honestly, I think is refreshing and um, makes for a good change of pace from that first episode where you're- That it's coming from the women as well is kind of interesting. Yes. Yes, that's true. Anyway, guess what? The third group date for this episode is a fucking Christ. boat date. Fuck yeah. Yes. Finally. The first one ever. I know what happened. <laughs> Yeah. Do you know, and bad things have happened to this man out at sea. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I wouldn't risk it if I were them. Hmm. wonder if he'll do any kissing. <laughs> I wonder. Uh, they arrive at a marina and board this humongous yacht together. And Kim, the nanny from Tempe, Arizona. <laughs> I'm just enjoying doing that for a moment before she leaves. Uh, she gets to honk the ship's horn. Hell yeah. Tina tells Alex, I love Kathy to death. Don't get me wrong, but Kathy's 22. You know, Kathy's not at the age where she can understand some of the things that you've been through. Ack. <laughs> Kim also agrees. ITMing, I just don't understand that a young, what a younger girl would have in common with a 31-year-old, you know? They're at totally different spots in their life right now. And Kim's name pops up on the Chiron, like the little lower third here. But her age is not on this one because Kim is 24. So Kim is saying like, oh, there are totally different parts of their life because she's 22. Kim's fucking 24. You're the same. My word. Which one is the nanny? Is Kim the nanny? Kim is the nanny named, T- I mean, from Tempe. <laughs> she, she, she was working at a desert shop in Phoenix. A, Z. <laughs> I hate using the Z, but it is. Makes you sense. Have to. Um. When a Grand Canyon kicked her out in one of those cactus scenes, what was she to do? She was out, she was out on her coyote. <laughs> I don't know anything about Arizona. I'm sorry. Uh, do you know? I, I literally googled what is Arizona known for because I was like, it's the big fucking desert town where the Cardinals come from. Cardinals is the is the football team i'm now getting insecure and about whether or not tempe is even in arizona i think it tempe is, is in arizona okay, i'm pretty good, sure good. thank god okay so desert climate is number one right yeah that makes sense number two is road trips <laughs> that's one of the great can't things. do it anywhere else yeah okay that makes sense number three is cactus number four is the grand canyon who would have guessed that gin blossoms are from there <laughs> and also meat puppets and other bands I don't know. <laughs> um, well, the mayor Wren? is named Corey Woods. Watch out, Vice Mayor Randy Keating. <laughs> and the city manager's name is Andrew Ching. Watch out, Chief of Police Jeff Glover. He's the fire chief whose name is Greg Ruiz. The city attorney is Judith R. Bauman. 
<laughs> very, very good stuff here. Um, <laughs> the census population, 180,587. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at the notable people and I don't know any of them. Tempe population people. Wait, Tempe, no. Okay, who are they? Oh, you want me to name him? Stephen Anderson, yeah. pastor of the Faithful Word Baptist Church. Oh, yikes. Jules Asner, a personality, a television personality, model, and author. Wait, I know her. What is she? Oh, no, I don't know her. Sorry, I made the mistake of thinking that I knew her. Uh, a guy called Roger Klein from Roger Klein and the Peacemakers. Norman Doobie. <laughs> Margaret Gisolo. A baseball pioneer and dance educator? Oh, jeez. Carl Some, T. Well, Hayden, United States Senator for Arizona and its first representative in the House. Ballina has more people than this. <laughs> oh, a comedy rock band called Psycho Stick. <laughs> they are known for That's their really good. silly image and use of humor in their songs and lyrics. <laughs> 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 Their debut album, We Couldn't Think of a Title, was released in 2003. Wait, Emma Stone is from Tempe. No. David Spade is from no! Tempe. No. Yes. Where are they on Wikipedia? I don't know. <laughs> the other guy from the band Fun. Wait, oh, really? Is from Tempe. Oh, that's yes. Nate Roos? Wait, that's not the other guy. That's the main what's the main singer? The other guy is is fucking it uh there are three oh, guys in Fun. The other guy from Fun is named. Uh, let me pull this. Let me pull this. Andrew Dost. Yeah, but the main guy is clearly Jack Antonoff. No, the main guy's Nate Ruiz. He's the lead singer. Yeah, yeah, but Jack Antonoff is like the main guy from Fun. Jack Antonoff is the main guy from like American pop music. Yeah, he's also in. He plays bass in Fun. He's. Oh sure, sure, sure. But I just mean like in the in the chronology of popular culture, the person that you are going to recognize. Here's the thing: if you're okay. if you're an aim and ignite fun guy, like I am, you know that Nate Ruiz is the guy from Fun. If you're Who's a aim and ignite, aim and ignite their incredible debut album. If if you're uh-huh. an aim and ignite fun guy, you know. If you're a Johnny Come Lately who only. Jumped on board when some nights came a knocking. If you thought, oh, we are young, a debut single from a hot young band, yeah, you're gonna think fucking Antonov. Don't get me started. I mean, I love Jack what Antonov. Is... Let's be let's be honest. I just want to shout out to the Dust Heads. <laughs> well, the Dust Heads don't really have anything to hang their hat on. I'm curious to see how much of that will make the cut. <laughs> By the way, if you're in Phoenix, Arizona, you've got to check out the Phoenix Rock Gym. It's the place to climb. <clears throat> where, where Cleveland we? Rocks. <laughs> Cleveland Rock. Uh, Cleveland Rocks. It's a great song. It's a great band. It's an incredible song. Mm-hmm. Group date. Where were we? Where were we? Where were we? Oh, Kim's 24. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> a terrible place to... All right. So, Kim's 24... And she's saying, like, they're at totally different spots in their life, this 22-year-old and this 31-year-old. They'll never get it together. Uh, And as if to rebut her directly, 
Kathy ITMs. He was a swimmer in college and I was a diver. So we have some really similar interests. I think we really hit it off. And this, I think, is the first time that they are really being playful with the edit and cross-cutting between statements from two different people or, you know, two different situations to enhance their meaning. I think this is great. Definitely. One of the times where you're like, oh, we're being shown this intentionally so that we can get to know more about Kathy and also get to know why the nanny named Kim <laughs> might get sent home. Right. And it's fun with Nate Ruiz, <laughs> Andrew Dust, and another guy. I don't even remember. Jack Antonoff. <laughs> I never He's heard the of main him. guy from fun. Okay. And then we see Rhonda. Sweet 2002 named Rhonda. <laughs> Victim to the night one stampede. What is. Not unlike Mufasa. <laughs> it's true. What is Rhonda doing? She's firing a rifle off the side of the boat. Just casually shooting an actual loaded firearm on a dating show. This was fucked from Rhonda. Weird behavior from Rhonda. Did you hear? So in an ITM, one of the other women says that um, she's worried that Rhonda might be too wild for Alex. Yeah, I mean. I thought that was really interesting. They've handed a gun to the one who might be too wild for him. It's really notable because it's obviously one of the first examples of the paranoia and competitiveness and jealousy mm. seeping in amongst the women, but it is also the first and only historical example of the combination of Rhonda mm -hmm. and too wild <laughs> being used consecutively in a sentence. Let me just quickly check the names of all the wild thornberries just to make sure that is not... <laughs> Um, this actually sets the scene for a kind of disturbing pattern throughout the U.S. Bachelor um, of guns being in the show. Uh, That's crazy. A show which is about romance and dating and love. Um, and guns. And also guns, because it's just mm. part of the rich tapestry of American culture. There is a gun range single date in Andy Dorfman's season of Bachelorette. There is a skeet shooting hometown date in Emily Maynard's season. I feel like there are more I'm not remembering. I have a very clear image in my head of a hometown date where a woman takes a man home and the dad is there and the dad has a gun and they're playing oh, it. Yes, and he shoots him. <laughs> I've seen this. Wait, what? And he dies. Yeah, and he gets killed, yeah. Yeah. No, but like they, they're setting it up like that's what's going to happen is it's this very old sexist kind of bit of like, you know, the the dad with the shotgun or whatever. And then they just ask the, the bachelor or the bachelorette or whoever it is to take shots. Like they're, they're you know, they're, they've set up an impromptu gun range by their mm -hmm. parked fucking truck or whatever. Great. Uh, yeah. I feel like there's more I'm not remembering. Very fucked up and weird. Scary. Uh, anyway, Rhonda is being very proactive. Maybe it's just having a gun. I don't know. But she, uh, you know, everyone's giving her credit for like, you know, oh, she's really going for it. She's uh, She wants some one-on-one -on -one time. He ITMs that she's the best wife material of the five on the date. Honestly, this is, look, if you can get a loaded weapon, you can hijack the show. That's a strategy. You know what I mean? I think that is exactly what we're seeing At here. Gunpoint. Because what we're not describing to you listeners is the tenor of the women and of Alex when they're giving these confessionals. Because to be honest with you, they are frightened. They are sweating bullets. They are just they like... Are literally, they're like, 
do you know, I actually think that she might even be wife material. Yeah. Alex says, uh, I can see her as my, uh, what was it? What was it, honey? Uh, my wife. Yeah. And uh, as I was a uh, life partner. Yeah. That sounds good. And, uh, you mm-hmm, know, for, mm-hmm. uh, uh, let's say, what, 30, 40, uh, 50 years, uh, maybe longer. I'll invent new medicines. <laughs> we'll last forever. Uh, and then there's a moment more gunplay off the side of the boat. That's basically where we end this date. Uh, what a great date this was. <laughs> we got to know a lot of the women, including Rhonda. <laughs> Rhonda and her friend, the gun. Gunda. Gunda. Pretty good. Uh, back at the villa, Amanda is telling the other women, the more I'm around him, I like the guy and I'm worried about it. If anything, it's raised my standards so much in guys because he is so fun with Andrew Dost and... Uh, uh, Nate Ruiz. I'm determined to remember Andrew Dust's name now. Uh, and his humor, which is so important to me, and the way his eyes like it makes my stomach drop or something. Like, like from not even knowing this guy. And uh, production coordinator Amy from New York taunts her in a sing song voice Is she in love? Amanda's <laughs> in love. While Compass Shannon stares on directly into the camera. Utterly repulsed. I have screenshotted this moment because it is pretty iconic in terms of just like, God, help me. (laughs) In ITM, she says she's worried that he's... uh, In ITM, Shannon says she's worried that he's said the same thing to all of them and any advantage that she thought that she had from their conversation is gone. And it's time for a final cocktail party. Although they don't call it that. And I'm just kind of filling in the gap here. The 15 women are back at the mansion. Well, niece feels like she's got a leg up because she got the first kiss. She got the only kiss. It's pretty good. Shannon asks, Shannon asks Alex, do you honestly think out of this group of 15 that you can find your future wife? And Alex answers, I feel like it's more possible today than I thought it was before it started. I mean, you fucking hope so, What an right? uninspiring <laughs> quote. It's not a high bar. That That is such a low bar. <laughs> Imagine if they used that as the caption for the season. <laughs> you know, like this is why they don't have 39 days of 20 castaways, one survivor. Right. Because this man gave them, I feel like it's more possible than it was on the first day. Yeah, yeah. I thought coming into this that it probably wouldn't happen. And now I'm like, Oh, no, it could. I guess. <laughs> That's the best. Shannon gets the first alone time where she tells Alex what she said in ITM that she essentially doesn't feel special at all anymore. Alex tells her, I'm sorry to hear that I haven't made you feel special. You're special in my book. And my book says dating for dummies. Uh, <laughs> I promise I won't repeat that line to everybody else. He ITMs, I'm surprised at the extent to which I'm evaluating these women in terms of who would make a good wife, rather than just who would be a good person to date. That's fairly good commentary. I think so too, and I love here that Shannon was brave enough Mm. and had the opportunity to really put it to Alex and express exactly what she was feeling. You know, we would never do this in Australia, giving the audience an opportunity to let the bachelor be criticized and for that criticism particularly to be justified right yeah i agree so much of it is implied now you know and it is just refreshing to hear shannon articulate that because it validates the dramatic tension from both sides and 
we can talk about the the resolution of that tension in a second, but there is a real efficacy in stating it plainly and simply where she says that makes me not feel that special. Mm. And I just think there are definitely situations in modern Bachelor where the show would do so well to return to that level of straightforwardness right. instead of like basting the audience in bizarro twists and wacky, wacky characters. Yeah, or even like... um the way that this conversation is about how it makes you feel rather than just, you know, sometimes the focus of drama is on a similar thing happening, but yeah. but it will be like, I can't believe you took them for the single date when I haven't had a single date yet or something like that. Instead of being right. like, I feel like you're paying more attention to them or they're oh, having more such time a good or point. whatever, you know? I feel like the way that you spoke to them makes me feel less special. You know, right. it's the emotional content rather than the, the verb of it all. Yeah. Or wait, what's a doing word? That's a verb. Yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, and then, ting, 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 ting. One less ting than last week. I am keeping notes. Made me feel a bit less special, to be honest. <laughs> He's withholding. Maybe he likes a different glass more. Mm. Uh, Alex is taken away by Chris Harrison. I think previously in my recap, I said Shannon got the first alone time. Shannon got the only alone time. There you go. Uh, in the deliberation room. Alex tells Chris he's still not sure who he's going to pick. Even though the women's portraits have again been laid out so beautifully <laughs> on the weird fucking cursed cabinet. But luckily, luckily, we've got a new tool this week. The women recorded those journal entries we talked about before. Private messages to remind Alex why he should pick them. This is their last chance. The ultimate defining statement that Alex will use at the final moment to make his toughest decision yet. Uh, I've thoughts about this. Okay. I have a game about this. Okay. Let me tell you, let me tell you what I think and then let's play the game. Please, please. I think this was an, a conceptual miss by the show. And I think that that's reflected in the editing. And what I mean by that is they were hoping for someone to profess love they were hoping for someone to say something so dramatic that this narrative device would be warranted. Instead, what we are presented with is a montage of all of the women saying various love cliches mm. to The Bachelor on video. And all of them are about the same. And they're all incredible to me. Um, but Max, I wanted to see... I, there's, I want to talk about all of these, but I wanted Great. to I wanted to turn this into a game. So I would like, I've just sent you a link to an Excel spreadsheet that has the 14 quotes from the women. There is no 15th one. I don't know why. Somebody abstained, I guess. But I've transcribed all of these. All of them are incredible to me. I really like all of them. They're all exactly the same. Um, but I wanted to see, because I want to talk about all of these, I wanted to see if you would like to turn this into a game. I have sent you a list of all of these quotes in order that they were uh, said on the show. I would like you to put these in order of best to worst. Remove from the context of who they are. Not that I could fucking tell you anyway, or not that either of us could probably remember. Okay. It's kind of tough, isn't it? It is difficult. It's not too easy. I'm gonna. I've I've now decided to work backwards. Okay, that can help. Yeah. Okay, Xavier, I've ranked my list. Okay, this is exciting. So the reason I wanted to do this is because, like, they're all about the same, <laughs> and I'm curious if you can if you can 
if you can pick why any of these should be higher than any of the others, because like if I was just given these and I was trying to make this choice, I would be no better off than before. But I also want to give our listeners all of them because they're really fun. I've applied a highly scientific method to my deliberation and I'm excited for you to get to know me a little bit better. One thing that we did was we printed out all of them, put them in little portrait frames, (laughs) put them on a weird fucking cursed piece of furniture for you. All right. So do you want to go from best to worst? Yes, I do. All right. Hit me. Who's first? All right. Which one's first? So this one says, there is no 15th one. Someone abstained, I guess. (laughs) So you think... I'll let you speak for yourself, but I you think the 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 best way to do this is to not do it, you know. Leave him I wanting more. I think that is far and away the most interesting approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if you're going to get into that room and say there is no 15th one, someone abstained, I guess. <laughs> like I'm like, fuck, what did I do wrong? Plan that, hard to get. I think is innovation. Yes. Here's the thing, let me sidebar for a moment. Um, it is impossible to find any information on any of these people online. And so what I have done is screenshotted all of them from the first episode from when their names come up on screen. And I am just trying to like apply the faces to the names as I go through my recaps. And so I'm trying to be as accurate as I can, but it's killing me. Very hard. Yeah. But when I get to a point like this and I'm like, oh, that's weird. There's only 14. And I know there's 15 women here. I simply could not tell you who is not in this list. Is it the girl with the eye? That would be the only one that I think might not be No, she's in there. Damn it. And who who can say? Yeah. Okay, I'm ready for number two. Okay. This is hoping the next experience I have with you will actually be no cameras involved. Mm. Now, I put that at number two. I'm ranking these in terms of strategic impact as well as emotional impact. Sure, yeah. This one, an incredible strategic play because it implies sex. Right, and I I think that's a great strategy. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, strategy aside, it is just like different to other ones. Yeah. Now, I'm going to go three and four here. Mm -hmm. We we Um, have a tie? No, but they're very similar. Okay, Okay? sure. This is... I think I think we're kind of love bombing here. We're we're showering Alex with with compliments. Mm-hmm. The first one says, "I think you're a beautiful person inside and out. The more I get to know you, the more beautiful you are." A really lovely thing to say to a person, yeah. and I think quite meaningful. Very kind. Feels like it comes from a real place. This one I think comes from the same place. I want to let you know, dot dot dot, you are truly someone special. So I would give that four. Can I point out that I've just realized I left something crucial about that one off the list, which is that this woman is wearing a t-shirt that says something special on it and she holds it up to the camera. I would still rank it the okay, same. Okay, all right, that's good. Yeah, I'm glad. Okay. Um, I'm not won over by cheap gimmicks. <laughs> all right, look, I look for something a little gaudier than you perhaps and that's fine. <laughs> that's why we have a podcast together because we have different perspectives, you know? The next three are suites of variations on a theme, and that theme is I'd like to get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, I'm surprised it's not three. This is number five. Thank you so much for the fabulous date. I'd welcome the invitation to stay a little longer and get to know you a little better. Let me read you six. Hey, Alex, I just wanted to let you know that I had a really great time on our date. Mm -hmm. I'd love to get to know you a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And then let me read you seven. I would just like to have the opportunity for you to get to know me a little better. (laughs) I have a lot to offer. Mm, 
backing oneself okay. there. So the reasons that I have gone four or five, six, and seven. Yep. Three clauses in the first one. Fabulous date. I would welcome the invitation to stay a little longer. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to get to know you a so little bit. So it's length. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. The next one, I had a really great time on our date. I'd love to get to know you a little better. Mm-hmm. There's nothing about like, I'd welcome the invitation. Sure. I want to get to you. Like, that's, if you gave the invitation, what, you don't even know what would happen to that person. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. The next one just felt a bit despo to me. Mm-hmm. Um, love the opportunity for you to get to know me a little better. I have a lot to offer. Yeah, that's tough, isn't it? Because it's like, I, I believe you, but also yep. like the fact that you are saying that speaks to the fact that we haven't gotten to know you better. Number eight, I am definitely willing to grow and change with you. Mm. Mm. This was generic. We're getting into the Maya here. In, from, in my eyes, and no one's asked me to rank this list, but in my eyes, that's towards the bottom. Because it's yeah. like, it's almost accepting or admitting that you are currently not right for this person. Well, this is kind of this suite of of ones that we're going through here now as well. I hope that we really get a chance to spend some more time. I hope that you feel the same way. Mm. Same kind of thing. Like, please let please let me in. Yeah. Give me a chance. Yeah. yeah. I may have had two fives here. <laughs> oh, fuck. Do you know what? I would have had this a lot higher, but we're going to do it here sure, at number 10. Sure. I hope that you keep me around because I'm a very curious person. <laughs> That? Leverage that mystery, baby. <laughs> that one for me is up there. That's really good because I don't, I can't make heads or tails of that. I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> Curious about what? Like, exactly. Like, I haven't gone I through all know. the cupboards yet, you know? Like, all these other women are just saying, I'd like to get to know you better. Yeah. This woman is saying, like, these cupboards are specious. <laughs> It's very curious. <laughs> She's like, there's candles I haven't lit yet. I want to see what they smell like. <laughs> Oh, look, and I definitely want to get to know you more. I've piffed that to the bottom because if we're talking about clauses, mm. you've only got one clause, babe. Yeah, and you've started with an and, which, you know, yeah. I don't want to nitpick, but, like, it doesn't, it's not the best. Nothing this guy's there. Ivy yeah. League educated, you know? He doesn't this have time This guy's got a that. lot of things going mm-hmm. on. I wanted to let you know that the day at the spa was a day I'll never forget. Boring mm. and a lie, probably. Yeah, and also it feels like you had to remind him, right? Right, right. Some of the best moments of our date were those shared smiles where nothing was said at all. That just tells me that you didn't talk to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Didn't like that. No. Um, then I found this to be just trepidatious advice. Follow your gut instinct. Follow your heart. Like you followed it out at sea, Alex. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, don't trust, and then I don't trust that. This one is the worst one just because it reads like a, a middle school yearbook entry. I think you're a great guy, and I hope there's more to come. See you later. <laughs> Stay cool. See you after summer yeah. camp. Don't change. <laughs> Don't ever change. Yeah. Fuck. That one's the worst one. Yeah, it's, that one sounds like she's signing his cast. Mm. Well, after a little more staring at the framed photographs, this time with some generous big zoomed-in shots of the portraits filling the entire frame. Very beautiful. It's time for the... uh, What would you call it? It's very hard to say. Invitation night? Elimination ceremony? Rose? Invitation. Involimation. Inflammation. 
Chris Harrison gathers the women, reminding them again that you always have a say in this matter. He offers you a rose and you're not interested in him. You can reject his invitation. And then this time, rather than the women standing in a cult-like semicircle with their hands crossed in front of them, the women are sitting in a cult-like semicircle with their hands crossed in front of them. This is a note from the network. <laughs> yeah. This is 100% a note from the network where they've been like, it's, it's, this whole thing was too weird. Yeah. It's too cult-like. Fix the it. The note is, this looks weird. Change it. And they've gone, yeah. all right, <laughs> we'll change something. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it looks way more natural now. <laughs> they really took the memo. Uh, Alex is still just behind this little lectern thing. We talked about this last week. But now most of the women have realized that you can sort of sidestep it to give him a kiss rather than leaning over. Um, Rose, Except for the one woman who crash tackles it. <laughs> that was the honey badger, wasn't it? Yeah, she really honey badger really likes to go through, doesn't he? He does. Uh, he went through all those women and didn't find a partner. <laughs> Rose's order is as follows. Shannon, who sort of completes her arc by saying, I will accept this, Rose, and I believe you now. I like that. They've given her a chance to sort of, you know, have a full narrative journey throughout this, this episode. This is a full story of Shannon. Shannon is, the outside of Alex, the main character of this episode based on this as far as I can for see. For sure, for sure. Um, so yeah, Shannon, Amanda, Kathy, Rhonda, Christina, Kim, Trista, and Lenise. So we see exit interviews from Katie, who says, if I had one more chance to say something to Alex, I would ask him, why did he first pick me? Why did he not try to get to know me better? And then there is an incredible exit interview with Melissa, who says, I thought for sure I had it in the bag, but I was so wrong. This whole situation is so unbelievably difficult, more than anyone could imagine. It's not so much Alex himself, it's the people and the environment that we're in. It's a difficult thing, and no one will ever, ever know unless they're put in my shoes. She walks out of the shot crying, which earns her the distinction of being the first person to be forced to tears by the Machiavellian machinations of The Bachelor. Little did she know just how many hundreds of people would be put in her shoes as the show's formula for guaranteed sadness proved to be so successful. Meanwhile, Alex ITMs, I really agonized over Melissa. For some reason, she didn't grab me on our date. She didn't stand out. I didn't find myself drawn to her. I can't just be playing to other people. I've got to, find myself, I've got to ask myself which one of these women has more for me as a wife. So let's take a moment to talk about the women who didn't get a rose and what they might have done to earn their punishment tonight, okay? <laughs> These people were sent home. Alexa, Amy, Angela, Angelique, Katie, Melissa, and Tina. Now, I'm not going to be cruel and ask you to tell me who they were. We just talked about Melissa, who I guess you could maybe argue came off jealous, or at least... She sat on his lap? Right, exactly. So she okay. reminded Alex that he was closer with Trista than he was with her. And mm. that's a bit of a red flag. I get that. Katie went to Vegas with him and said that her favorite parts of the date were when neither of them said anything. So I guess that makes sense. That's kind of fair enough. Bye, Katie. Goodbye. Uh, production coordinator Amy has mostly played a narrator role. She didn't really spend very much time with Alex. So that makes sense. Tina fell victim to the night one stampede. Um, and also, I guess you could argue that she is guilty of being Asian. Um, the show's track record of representation of Asian people and cultures in the years since this is anything to go by. Like, that is just a straight up problem uh, right. for a, a lot of people in this show. 
um, as insensitive as that is. Alexa was on the boat date and in her interview, she said she wanted to spend some time with Alex with the cameras off, but apparently that's not what he had in mind. However, Alexa was the first person in Bachelor history to give the lead something to remember her by, which unfortunately did not benefit her too much. So Alexa was the one who gave the uh, Dating for Dummies book. And uh, it's not a proven recipe for success. Angelique came under some scrutiny early on for her chosen profession, as Alex thought that he wouldn't be able to tell if she was acting or not. But she did make a truly historic play by being the first person to steal The Bachelor away for a one-on-one chat. And that also was not awarded at this rose ceremony. Serious villain potential for Angelique. True, that's actually a great point. I didn't even really think about it that way. I just more thought, like, this is something that people do on this show to this day, constantly. Yeah. it is These days, Angelique would have been plowed with alcohol and she would have burned the house down on her way out. Yeah, totally. And then we have Angela... Poor, innocent Angela, whose only crime was allowing Alex to smother her hooters hooters with mud, (laughs) thus opening her human body up to the potential for injury, which then had her relegated to the sidelines for the rest of the episode. Despite Alex apologizing to her and calling her on his stupid fucking clunky phone out of concern, he still sends her home. Rough stuff. Next week on The Bachelor, it's the top eight, so I can finally probably put away my little cheat sheet of faces and names. Who am I kidding? (laughs) Uh, Alex's friends Sam and Stephanie move into the ladies' villa to grill them. This is pretty big for the first season. I know. Lenice tells the group about her kiss with Alex, and then the most shocking invitation night ever, cue paramedics and sirens blaring... First time for everything. What the? What do you reckon that is? I don't know. Goodness. Do you want to lay Does... down a guess just for fun? I know what happens. Okay. I'm going to guess that someone uh, slips over. Maybe maybe it's wet. They slip over and it's an ankle injury or something okay. like that. All right. Let's see if yeah. that plays out. Uh, that ends our recap. Oh, goodness. Of week two. Of... I wasn't ready for it to end. Oh, well... Certainly not ready for the episode. No, no, no. Have you got anything? No, my friend. Of course not. It's not time to end. It is time for, in lieu of social media gains, let's play some historic games. Theme song, maybe? Question mark? Great. Uh, All right. So last week, uh, I did have a way to set this up. I didn't write anything, but anyway. Um, So last week, instead of talking about social media... I wanted to give a little more context and I wanted to get us into the world of 2002 and that late March sort of, you know, when the show first came onto the air, what was the world like when we looked around and, you know, last week we talked about what was on the radio and what were the hot hits at the time. And so this time I wanted to talk about another aspect of popular culture that I know that my co-host Max Quinn is very clued into, very excited by. It is of course the top five at the U.S. domestic box office oh, fuck. for the week of April 1st, 2002, oh, which is shit. when this aired. As with last week, Max, I am here to give you plenty of clues and information oh, no. about these five movies, which I am confident you have heard of some of. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what can I tell you right off the bat? 
It is 2002 in motion pictures. We have uh, one director who remains an iconic... Oh, this is not going to help you at all. Uh, the top film at the box office is a film targeted towards a family audience. Uh, and it is uh, not a live action film, if I can, if I can okay, give you that. Okay, so we've got an animated film. Correct. Well done. The you're, on the, film. you're on the right track there. That was going to be my first question. How many of these are animated films? Okay. Uh, it is so, just the one. 2002 animated films. We are probably looking to Shrek? It is not Shrek. Um, I will give you a big clue for this one because I think... Uh, no, actually, you know what? I think you're more likely to get this one, so I'll give you less clues than some of the others. Okay, is it A Bug's Life? It is not A Bug's Life. Is it Ants? No. Do you want to try and guess any other aspects about it before just guessing titles? Disney? It is not Disney, although that's a good guess. Is it a Pixar? It is not a Pixar. And it's not a DreamWorks. That's right. Shit. It exists outside of those two titans. This stars a beloved comedic actor who you like a lot doing the voice of its main character. Oh my God, it's Stuart Little. It is not Stuart Little. Fuck. It is fully animated. It is not a mixture of animation and live action. Okay, okay. Um, what else is around that time? Uh, Scooby-Doo. It is not Scooby-Doo. This film has a human character who I hate. What about Ice Age? It is Ice is Age. That... Correct. Yes. Okay. That little fucking baby. Oh, oh you don't like the oh, baby. It boils my blood. Okay. That little freak. All right. That was difficult for me. Okay. Well, this ought to be fun then because that was going to be Great. the easiest one. Uh, there are four more films remaining on this top five. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Let me see. Let me. I'll, I'll focus you down to one by one if you want. Uh, let's go with actually. Let me. Can I? Can we do? Can we do this? Please, whatever you like. Anything. I would like to just throw out some films that I think might have been released in two thousand and two <laughs> or thereabouts, okay. and you can tell me if that's if that's if we've if we're on the money. Okay. Okay. All right. Wait. So two thousand and two. I'm in year six. <laughs> yeah. So this yeah. Is my try and get space. back into that. Like, where were you at this time? Okay, so uh, I'm going to say that this is the first time that boys and girls at my school started to go to the movies together. Mm, okay. And was I invited? No. <laughs> was I offended? Deeply. <laughs> Actually, do you know what? No, I was invited to one. Oh, yeah. And it was the movie Signs. Mm. You know, we talked about M. Night Shyamalan's new movie earlier in this episode, and we probably cut right. it out, but still. Oh, that's an M. Night. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's fucking good. Watch old. You'd like it. Ooh, okay, 2002. Bend It Like Beckham came out when I was in year six. Mm, it is. What else? People liked Paul Walker, Blue Crush. Yeah, no, no. Nothing's happening here. No. Um, surely some of these Deuce Bigelow sort of hot chick kind of things were probably happening at about this time. Jackass probably was around this time. Mm. Have I hit on anything? Nothing here. Nothing here. Shit. Okay. What about... Genre. Let's talk about. Is there any? Have we got any scaries? Okay, we have got in this list uh, a thriller, but not a horror. Mm -hmm. We have got a what seems to be a family film. You know what? I won't say it's a family That's film. Troubling. I will say it is a sports film. 
Okay. So we've got a thriller, a sports film, a definitely family, maybe even just kids film, mm-hmm. and an action film. Okay. Panic Room. Yeah, that's number two, baby. Sick. Yeah, that's the thriller. I don't even have to tell you the director. Great. Don't know who it is, but <laughs> that was one of the ones yeah. that the boys and girls were going to see. Oh, my God, now, really? Also around this time, yeah, Ali was um, a popular mm. um, film. Terrific movie. It mm. is not one of these. Damn it. Okay, sports movies from around that time. The Replacements? No, not The Replacements. The Waterboy? Not The Waterboy. Although, that's kind of a similar area. Okay, so we're sort of shooting in this Adam Sandler zone. No, it's, it's not, not that kind of zone. Okay. I'm mainly just talking about title. Okay. It is a the something. Oh, shit. Okay. If it helps, I had never heard of this movie before. This is the one that I think you will definitely not get. But you might um, get it because you care more about sport than I do. But this is I, not one of your main sports. So what are we? is it going to be a baseball movie? It is a baseball movie. movie. It's not Angels in the Outfield. Um, what other... Um, Let me see. It stars. Um, does it... Is it this this fucking Dennis Quaid movie? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How do you know that? How do you even know Dennis Quaid? Dennis Quaid was in a Christmas TV series oh. two years ago where he played like the cranky father mm-hmm. of the woman who brought the bumbling musician home for Christmas. Right. Danny and I, of course, watched every episode. Sure, of course. At the time, I was like, what else has Dennis Quaid been in? Because that's a name that... Oh, there's also Randy Quaid. There are some Quaids. Sure, sure. Um, and he se- he struck me as a Republican. And it was, you know, that time in politics. And me. I was like, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, let's... And I, do you know what? Don't remember, but what I do remember... Scrolling through the list of films and being like, what is The Rookie? That's the film. That's, That's the film, baby. The film. Yeah, buddy. Okay. All right. I feel good about okay, that. Okay, good. All right. We have two left. Uh, okay. So we've we've guessed the sport one, yada, yada. Uh, we've got one that is for families. And honestly, I feel like if I was an adult and my kid dragged me to this, I would be not so happy. <laughs> uh, and then there is a film that I think is great. It is a action film with some horror type elements in it. Um, Are we in some sort of like Saving Private Ryan kind of era? Oh, Sweet Home Alabama. Is that one of them? <laughs> no, no. I'm Damn. sorry. I think Damn. that's around the, t- the same time, though. I think you're, you're bucking up the right tree. This film had a video game of the same name released for the PS2 and Xbox on September 3rd, 2002. Fuck. Uh, let me think. Was there a Spider-Man's around this time? It's probably not a Spider-Man's. There was, but it's not. Although you are barking up the right tree. Is it a su- so we, a superhero? Oh my God, fucking 8 Mile came out this year. <laughs> Why would it be 8 Mile based on those clues? <laughs> you almost said something quite good. Uh. A superhero. Yeah. Okay. Is it the Hulk movie that I hate? No, and you're wrong about that Hulk movie. It's real good. Oh, damn. Okay. <laughs> no, you're allowed to dislike it. It's fine. All right. Let me read to you some artists from the soundtrack for this movie. The movie has a... Okay, yes, please. All right. Uh, we got Buster Rhymes. We got Cypress Hill. We got Ice Cube. We got 
Eve. We got Bubba Sparks. We got Fabolos. Oh. We got Most Deaf. We got Mr. Cal. We got oh. Red Man. It has to be Blade. Yeah. Is it Blade 1? I didn't know that there was more than one. Yes, it is. Or is it maybe the one before Blade three? Two. Yeah, that's the one. Ding, 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 yes. ding, ding. Sick. Excellent. Fucking good okay. work. All right, there's one left. I don't think you've heard of this movie. I want to say it's like a Nickelodeon movie maybe, but I don't know if that's true. Powerpuff Girls? No, that won't be Nickelodeon. No. Um, oh, yeah, it is. Okay. It's produced by Nickelodeon movies and distributed by Paramount Pictures. Okay. So, let's think. Nickelodeon 2002. So, there's like, what's happening? All that is probably happening. Oh, you know what? It's not based on an existing Nickelodeon property. Oh. If that helps. Okay. Can I read you some soundtrack artists just for fun? Yes. All right. Track number one, Holiday in My Head by Smash Mouth. Kind of a good Smash Mouth song. I agree. We got Sugar Ray. We got Uncle Cracker. We got Third Eye Blind. We got a couple of Blink-182s back-to-back. All the small things in first date back-to-back on this soundtrack. Damn, that's fucking that's good. good. Then we got Nickelback, Newfound Glory, Simple Plan, Dandy Warhols. Oh, it's Bohemian Like You, uh, Lit. Uh, we got Wang Chung, Cranberries. Wait. Oh, no, you said I wouldn't have heard of it. Um, I was going to say maybe like Hey Arnold. Um. No, it's movie not. came out around that time. It's not based on a cartoon. Oh, fuck. Okay, then, no, I have no idea what this Can is. Can I read to you? Stop the clock. What did you say? I said stop the clock. <laughs> you don't know what it is, though? No. The movie is called Clock Stoppers. Fuck off. <laughs> no, it's not. How did you do it? Is it actually? Yeah. That's sick. That's incredible. It's <laughs> unreal. I have to look this up. Hold on. Okay. To, okay. The NSA-funded um, Quantum Tech Corporation has slated a project to develop HyperTime, a technology which allows the user's molecules to speed up to the point where the world appears in standstill. Oh, this looks awful. It looks fucking sick. NSA had more ends the project due to the risk of the technology being acquired by hostile powers. Oh, French Stewart's in it. I take it all back. It looks incredible. <laughs> so it's like they have a watch that they can use to stop time and then run around and pull people's pants down and stuff. I think that's basically what happens. It cost $26 million to make. Uh-huh. And I paid $26 million to go see it. Okay, just out of curiosity, which one of those five movies, Ice Age, Panic Room, The Rookie, Clock Stoppers, and Blade 2, which one would you watch, like, right now? I feel like I would watch Blade or The Panic Room because they feel like the most historically relevant mm for me to contribute to the zeitgeist, but I wouldn't be happy about watching either of them. (laughs) I think that's a pretty good answer. Hey, (laughs) thanks for playing some historic games. Listeners, that does bring us to the end of another episode of The Bachelor of Hearts Presents Ancient History. We actually did come here to make friends, so if you'd like to come on down to social media, uh, check us out on Facebook, The Bachelor of Hearts Osh Posting Group. Uh, remains a constant source of joy uh, and uh, terror, you know? <laughs> Just yeah, who knows? knowing too much I about what's going on in this fright. world of Bachelor yeah. is uh, is a blessing and a curse. 
It's a sickness, and we're so happy that so many of you share it with us. If you want to connect with Xavier, you can find him at Xavier RN. I am at Max Quinn. We are everywhere on the internet at BOH Pod. Everywhere. Everywhere. Um, thanks again for being here with us. Thanks again to my friend Max. I want to say a big shout out and I love you to the Zave heads for keeping it really, really real. And that's about it. Shout out to the dust heads. Listeners. We love you. We love you. Goodbye. 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 Running out of time. Make the most of what's before me. Searching for a sign.